When the life sciences industry gathers in San Francisco for the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference Week, will you be ready? It's important you're able to take advantage of all the opportunities. Don't get left behind. Big 3 Bio has created BioWeek SF, an online resource that guides you through event schedules, receptions, meeting space information, and consulting services. It provides exclusive savings and more to help attendees make the most of their J.P. Morgan week. Go to BioWeekSF.com for more information. That's BioWeekSF.com. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. We conclude our biotech review preview series with our final installment this week as the industry readies for the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. We spoke to John Gardner, U.S. News Editor for EP Vantage, about the EP Vantage 2018 preview, the outlook for big value drug launches, and whether deal making or clinical successes will drive stock prices in 2018. As a note, this podcast was recorded prior to Spark Therapeutics' announcement of its pricing for its gene therapy, Luxterna. John, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me on. We're going to talk about the upcoming J.P. Morgan Annual Healthcare Conference in San Francisco, which kicks off the new year in biotech, the EP Vantage 2018 preview, and what's ahead in the new year. Let's start with 2017, though. What kind of a year was it for new drug approvals and, and perhaps more importantly for high value? Where how high value were the drugs that were approved? Well, it's interesting you you mentioned that because we have um, just today uh, the day we're, we're recording this, of course, the approval of the very first gene therapy in the in the U.S. Um, Luxterna, which teach, uh, which treats a form of of um, inherited blindness. Uh, but in fact, but and it is it was a um, it was an approval that was expected to be actually happen have happened in 2018. Um, so the the answer is it it I, I it's difficult for me to tell you exactly um, uh, the total value because we've had a, a couple of surprises in the last couple of days. But I can tell you that we had uh, forecast about 43 drugs um, to be approved in uh, 2017 and. Approximately thirty-one point uh, uh, six billion dollars worth of uh, fifth-year sales value, uh, which is the highest we've ever measured, higher than in twenty fifteen when when there were actually fifty-six drugs approved. So it's been a very good year. A lot of very innovative drugs have been approved this year, um, including uh, the, uh, the first uh, first two uh, CAR T uh, um, drugs in cancer. Um, so it's been an exciting year. It's been an, uh, it's been a real return to form for uh, for the FDA, uh, especially since 2016 came in a little bit disappointing for many people. There's been a lot of attention to the new immuno oncology drugs. You mentioned the the first two CAR T therapies that were approved. The top of the big value launches to 
2018, though, are drugs for diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, and as you mentioned, Luxterna, rare, rare disease therapies. What will you be watching for in, in 2018? In 2018, um, the, the biggest potential that we, we see is um, is Gilead's new HIV uh, triple drug, um, which is would be forecast at about five billion dollars worth of sales by uh, by 2022. Uh, it's an interesting case because it obviously will be replacing other assets that uh, in, in HIV that that uh, uh, Gilead has. But we're also uh, um, um, we're also looking at. Um, Launches in a, a, another oncology launch in the form of a, a, a new checkpoint inhibitor called Epicatastat uh, um, from Insight, um, which is approximately a two billion dollar launch, and um, the MS the new MS drug Ozanamod from Celgene, um, which is a um, uh, which is a competitor in Galenia's class. Big approval today, as you mentioned, with Luxterna. There's been a lot of speculation, though, about the price tag of of the new gene therapy, which has now been approved. What what are you expecting in terms of the discussion around that therapy and, and what it might do for what comes behind it? I, I think you're going to see, you'll probably see sort of a, a, a separate track. Uh, um, certain drugs, certain of these gene therapies are for extremely uh, um, uh, small populations. Um, for example, uh, Strimvelis, which was a, which was approved in Europe this year, a gene therapy, um, is something along the lines of a, of a one in a million, uh, um, uh, uh, one per million live births. And so it's a very small population and a very arguably high cost condition, which relies on, relies on a lot of chronic care. In this case, you could, you have a demonstrable uh, benefit from a one million dollar drug uh, that you use only once. In the case of Luxterna, the, the balance is um, going to be slightly different because the medical costs aren't quite so extreme. You obviously have a a, a blind patient who will see their quality of life rise uh, pretty substantially if they get this drug, but it's it's a little more difficult to make that $1 million uh, price tag argument that every, everyone's been talking about. So I think it's really going to depend on on how much medical cost you're averting and, you know, a, 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 and the size of the population. So in looking at the comments from Spark during their last quarterly conference call, they make a case for the drug based on its societal benefits and and not just the cost of the healthcare system, but the, really the broader cost of someone who's unable to work and and all of that. Is there an issue for how payers are going to look at that? Is that going to be relevant to the calculus they use? I, I, I think the payers don't, it, and it's a very good argument to make, and that's a very good policy discussion to make. I think the payers, um, uh, for their part, have to look at also their uh, it, the benefit that they see from it, from paying for it, um, especially given in, that in the U.S. Uh, people change insurers quite frequently, it's going to be a more difficult argument to make. Um, I think in the in in the end, um, you know, Spark's case will will win the day to a certain degree, but there will probably have to be uh, some concessions that that the gene therapy makers make um, uh, in order to really get this through get this through well with the payers. 
with regard to the new immunotherapies we're seeing, there's been some impressive clinical results, and we've got a, a pipeline of studies with combination therapies in, in 2018. Anything you'll be watching closely? Well, I think the the, the thing I've been without that has risen lately is as some of these uh, immunotherapies, particularly the the uh, uh, PD one checkpoint inhibitors, have attempted to advance through the the events uh, into earlier and earlier treatment lines. We've seen, I think, in my, more failures um, uh, in you know in in, uh, uh, in second line and first line. Um, uh, treatments and as monotherapies, so we'll have to actually be on the lookout for for exactly what the limitations uh, of of the immunotherapies actually are, because I think we are starting to to see that with a number of, of trials that have not succeeded. Um, but as always, if if you're looking for the you know things that will be big steps 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 forward for immunology, it will be in the in the big indications like uh, uh, lung cancer. And what will it take to see these clinical successes translate into to market successes? Well, that's a good question, but um, because many of them are, are very expensive. Um, and I think, again, as with the gene therapies, you know, if, if it's not exactly a life-saving uh, um, uh, setting, for example, it will be difficult to argue for premium pricing, um, but I think there is you know, there have been some massive steps steps forward, and uh, um, the, the the data really carries um, you know carries the case for the if, if we're speaking specifically of immuno oncology, the data have really um, carried the case for um, uh, for their use in earlier and earlier lines and with with um, different combinations of treatments. Despite the Gilead kite deal, I think most people were expecting more to happen on the M and A front during the past year. With tax reform now looking like a done deal, do you expect a pickup there? And are there any likely acquirers or targets you'll be watching? Well, I would I would always look to Pfizer um, first of all, and um, the Pfizer CEO Ian Reid has has made very explicit that he doesn't want, he's not interested in doing any M&A until the tax uh, um, reform has been resolved uh, because, he, because the, the, the uh, uh, tax situation obviously alters the valuations of any, of any target companies. Uh, so I would advise that always, whenever there's a merger and acquisition wave, Pfizer always seems to be on the leading edge of it and others seem to react. So I would obviously look to them. Um, I think that there are companies uh, with legacy product, you know, with, with with massive legacy products uh, in in uh, highly price constrained env environments that might want to uh, uh, beef up their pipeline and, and do different things. So perhaps uh, Eli Lilly, as an example, uh, which still has has uh, heavy exposure in the diabetes market, uh, might want to strengthen itself. In uh, other disease areas, it's done a good job in, in oncology of late, but it might it might do well to uh, lessen its, its exposure to uh, um, uh, to its diabetes franchise. Bristol Myers Squibb has been has been touted as a as a target uh, for a long time, and it, it it remains so. One reason we may not have seen more M and A is that it seems to have been 
uh, a market where sellers have the upper hand today, and there's plenty of cash around, which provides company in need of capital alternatives. EP is expecting a, a 2018 to be a, a good IPO market. Will you be looking for any indicators at JP Morgan as to what you're going to see on that front? Well, I think anyone who, who um, I don't know the private companies presented JP Morgan, but um, I, I think that uh, if, if uh, the private company says they're going to IPO, that would be an obvious indicator. Um, I think that if you see, if, if for example, um, there, there's always there's always seems to be a lot of share movement around uh, JP Morgan that tends to. Uh, lift all boats higher, shall we? Shall we say? So, if we see uh, a sudden run up at, at, at J.P. Morgan of the, uh, in particular, the Nasdaq Biotechnology Index, that may, might be a sign that 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 more companies might be able to go out and uh, do IPOs. So, that would be one clear indicator I would look for. What do you expect to to drive biotech stocks in 2018? Is it going to be clinical successes or or deal activity? It will. It will probably be a combination of both. Um, uh, the, I, I think clinical. I, I, I would say the clinical successes will be will be greater because, as we as we've discussed earlier, uh, there is that tension between uh, the the sellers market, the uh, 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 the biotechs are you know fully valued uh, as as it stands, and um, it, their prices become very uh, very difficult to justify. So if you see Clinical successes are probably going to be the bigger uh, driver of, of share price movement. In the 2018 preview, you've got a chart of biggest changes in forecast for the sales of individual drugs. This includes on the, the downside, Embril and Remicade. I'm wondering, is that a sign that biosimilars are starting to have an impact? I think it's true that biosimilars are having an impact more in uh, in Europe than in the U.S., um, but they are coming, um, and it, in many cases, the, it may not be necessarily the competition as much as it is the anticipation of, of, of competition, where companies are signing multi-year deals, um, in, you know, at, at a fixed price in advance with uh, in advance of. of um, biosimilar launches in order to sh- shore up in shore up their um, you know their sales and sort of defend the franchise into um, or, or past their patent expiration date. We've had a new FDA commissioner this year, Scott Gottlieb. He's been well received among industry. Any chance that the agency is sacrificing safety for speed? Has the FDA lowered the bar or just cleared the aisle? Well, if you if you ask the FDA, they haven't they haven't uh, uh, changed it. Um, what I will say that that there may have been there were probably some products that, uh, approved of late that were not necessarily unsafe products, but proved showed to have were showed to have marginal efficacy over uh, com, uh, over competition or marginal efficacy in their in their uh, indication in general. And uh, the FDA has decided more or less to say. We'll approve it, and we'll just kick it over to the payers to let them make you know make the hard choices, which is uh, isn't necessarily uh, fair to the payers because then it makes makes them look bad politically. Um, and any time, but any time you see uh, uh, as many approvals and as as fast of approvals as we've seen in the past year, 
I think you have to worry about the next Vioxx. Uh, and I'm not saying that there will be a, a case as egregious as Vioxx, but you do have to worry about it. With Brexit, we know the EMA is now headed to new headquarters in Amsterdam. Any reason to think that will pose any kind of a disruption to the industry? I, I can't say for certain. Um, I think the EMA would probably insist that it won't, but that's that's a very big move. You're moving a lot of people. Um, you're having any any time um, you're asking staff to move across, uh, you know, across countries. That's a that's disruptive to the entire staff, and it's going to make it um, it it may cause some uh, difficulties with, with productivity in EMA. I, it would be hard for it, it would be hard to, for me to see a situation where the EMA move does not um, cause some disruption. The 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 level of disruption is very difficult to say. I don't think that it would cause. Uh, drugs to be delayed by years, but it may be um, a case where um, some drugs that are expected to uh, be heard by the EMA, um, you know, one month gets gets strung out a couple extra months because simply the people aren't in place uh, to do the job. So as you think ahead to J.P. Morgan, any bellwethers you'll be watching, any companies you'll be looking to, to hear from particularly, or... Will the hallway conversations tell you the most? I, I think the hallway conversations probably tell everybody the most, but um, I, I would look to um, find out what Big Pharma is doing to, uh, I guess, get people more excited about their product offerings, um, their pipelines, um, and and also their business development activities. Because I think that's been that's been one of the stories of the year is is, is that it, you know biotechs are on the up and and Big Pharma has been uh, rather in the doldrums. Um, uh, I would look for uh, I, w- I would look for anyone announcing uh, uh, big uh, if, if 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 this indeed happens uh, M and A or data um, it sometimes happens at J P Morgan um, so that those would be the two things I would look for. John Gardner, U S news editor for E P Vantage. John, thanks as always. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to get a copy of the. EP Vantage 2018 preview, you can download it from the Evaluate site at www.evaluategroup.com. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.